The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. This morning, our scripture reference is Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. And um, I encourage all of you to follow along if you have your own Bibles. If not, there are several that are scattered underneath the rows, under the chairs. And it will also be, as you can see, (laughs) up there behind me. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself excuse me, drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, "'O foolish ones,' and slow of heart to believe all the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward the evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is God's word. Happy Easter morning to everyone. We're glad. Thank you. <laughs> you felt sorry for me just dangling up here all by myself. That was very nice of you. We're really glad that you're here this morning. 
Uh, Easter is the holiest day in the Christian calendar. And because of that, it's the most attended Sunday of the year by far. Um, all across the world, everybody's going to church who has any sort of connection to church at all. Um, but it's kind of interesting, if I were to take a poll this morning of why we're here, why each of us are here, uh, I'd probably get some answers all across the map. Uh, some of us are here this morning because we're excited and we're happy. It's Easter, right? And some of us are here because that's what you're supposed to do on Easter Sunday. Uh, some of us are here because uh, just somebody invited us. It's possible that you're here and you're not even sure why. I just... I don't even know. I, she made me come. A pretty girl handed me an invitation. I saw something on Facebook. I don't know. I smelled coffee. There were donuts. I'm here. I don't really know what's going on. But here's the truth. If what we're reading about this morning, if what Allison read to us this morning is true, if what we're here celebrating this morning is true, if what Christians around the world today are celebrating is true, if it's true, and I don't know where each of you are on the map when it comes to that, but if it is true, then it's a game changer. If Easter is true, then it's a life changer. If Easter is true, it's a world changer. It's not just the center of the Christian religion it's not just the holiest day or the biggest event in Christian history. If it is true, then Easter is the biggest event in world history. If it's true, then Easter, the resurrection, the fact that Jesus Christ was born of a Virgin Mary, was 100% God somehow and also 100% God somehow, we don't know how it works, 100% God, 100% man, born of Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life, died a death that was wrong, he was wrongfully accused of, betrayed by one of his closest followers, crucified, was buried, and on the third day rose again. If that is true, then it changes everything. And I don't know where you are on your journey here this morning. Some of us here, like, this is just a stop, right? Like, let's just, i am be honest, I have no pretensions about what you guys are thinking about coming into church on the Easter morning. Some of you, this is a pit stop before brunch, and that's totally fine. I love a good brunch. It, it combines two of my three favorite meals of the day into one. Brunch is beautiful because you can eat anything in that meal and say it's okay. You can have cake and you can have ham and you can have a waffle all at the same time and it's perfectly okay in that one meal. I love brunch. It may be, this may be a stop on your way to brunch or a big family lunch. This may be your stop because your spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend or friend uh, at work wouldn't stop asking you to come until you came. So this one stop in your day, you've got a lot of stuff lined up today. But just like these disciples who began their walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, seven miles, seven miles. And their world was changed before it was all said and done with. Maybe that's what will happen this morning for you. And maybe that's what will happen this morning for me. 
No matter who you are or what your background is, if you are been a, a Christian all your life or you rarely go to church or you never go to church or wherever you are on the map, maybe that is the kind of journey that you're in for this morning. You guys know those kind of journeys where you start out the day, plan on doing one thing and something changes it? Or you start out doing one task and something happens and totally changes it? We had that last Saturday night. Uh, I was getting ready to go to sleep uh, some of your parents may be able to re- relate to this. Uh, kids, why do they only get sick in the night? I do not understand. We're going to sleep. I'm literally climbing into bed. Megan comes, comes into the, the bedroom. I thought she was like, finished up a few things. She comes to the bedroom. And she's like, Sophia got sick. And then you guys know what got sick means, right? So the, my night totally changed in a moment. Sometimes it's a small thing. Sometimes it's a big thing. Some of you have been at work or at home and you've gotten that phone call from a loved one or about a loved one and your day or your life was changed. If Easter is true, no matter what you started out today for, no matter what you started out this service for, maybe that's the kind of day that is in the line for you today. Because here's what I know. No matter what you think you're here for today, the thing that you most need. There may be a lot of things you need today. You're not sure how you're gonna pay the light bill. You're not sure uh, what you're gonna do about your job situation. You're You're not sure what you're gonna do in your marriage with your kids. There's lots of things that you need today, but the thing that you and I most need today is to meet the risen Jesus, just like these two disciples did on that road, on that Sunday, 2,000 years ago. We're gonna see three characteristics from the text this morning. We're gonna see three characteristics that are required in order to meet the risen Jesus this morning. We're gonna see to meet the risen Jesus, we must know the truth about him. To meet the risen Jesus, we must believe in him. And to meet the risen Jesus, we must experience him. First of all, to meet the risen Jesus, we must know the truth about him. Here's a timeline. That's going on, going on. It's only been one week. One week ago today, these two disciples who are walking down this road to Emmaus from Jerusalem, seven miles, it was one week ago today, they were walking a very different road in with Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. It was packed. The Jews observed Passover and as many Jews as possibly could come would come to Jerusalem and observe Passover together. The city was packed. And Jesus had been traveling around the countryside preaching and doing miracles, and he was the talk of the country. The country was divided into two camps, those who were pro-Jesus and those who were anti-Jesus. There was really no in-between. He had turned the nation upside down. And he was now traveling into Jerusalem and his disciples believed he was coming because the people of Israel were waiting for the Messiah. That means the, the, the text we read when we saw Christ, it's the same word as Messiah. It means the deliverer. They were waiting for somebody to come and save them, to deliver them. And boy, do they need delivering because they had been conquered by the Roman Empire, the most powerful country on the face of the earth. And they were under Roman oppression and rule and had been for a long time, and they were waiting for the deliverer, the Messiah, to come to save them. That's why when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of the donkey, the people were were waving palm branches and crying out Hosanna to him. Hosanna means, Lord, save us. 
And the disciples were super excited because they were the ones who were the inner circle of Jesus. They're the ones who had kind of bought on early into this Jesus guy before he was a national phenomenon. And they were with him walking into the city celebrating because they're saying, we have hitched our We have hitched to the right truck. We are on the right path. This is the dude. Have you seen the things that he's done? He turned water into wine all the way to he raised the dead. He raised the dead multiple times. We have bought into the right stock. We bought into Apple stock in 1990. This is the deal, man. We're walking into Jerusalem. He's gonna come and he's gonna deliver us. He's the one. And it looks like things are going well. He gets into the city. He goes to the temple, which is the center of Jewish life. And they, they've turned the temple. The, there's full of these tables and they are what are called money changers. where they are, There's buying and selling going on in the place that God had designated to be the place of worship and prayer. And Jesus walks in that place and he is the boss. He owns that place. He comes in with a holy fury, a holy anger, and he turns the tables over and he tells them, you have turned my father's house, a house of prayer and worship into a den of thieves. And he alone chases them out with a holy fury out of the temple. It looks like it is coming. This is the dude that's gonna turn things upside down. But then just a few days later, they gather with him to observe Passover. On Thursday night, they gather with him to observe Passover. And as they do, he starts making weird comments. He's actually been making some weird comments for the past couple of months now. But he, starts, he's, he, he sits there and he's talking about suffering and he's talking about death. And then he picks up the bread, the part of the Passover meal, and he breaks the bread. And he says, this is my body which will be broken for you. And he passes that around. Now that's a weird thing to do. And then he takes the cup, the, the wine, and he pours it and he passes it around. And he says, this is the wine, this is the blood of the new covenant which will be shared for the rem- shed for the remission or the forgiveness or the wiping away or the cleansing of your sin. That's a weird thing to do. And then almost immediately after the meal, he goes out to pray. And he's in such anguish, the people who are closest to him, the disciples who are closest to him, see that he's almost like he's sweating blood. And then things take a terrible turn. Like one of those phone calls you get that you don't expect, and all of a sudden it sends your world reeling. Judas, one of his 12 closest disciples, shows up leading a band of soldiers and they come and arrest him, and all of a sudden, their world is turned upside down. They arrest him on that Thursday night and take him, and overnight, they, the Sanhedrin, which is the religious leaders of the day, uh, they try him, and then they take him to the Roman, uh, Roman ruler, Pontius Pilate, and he finally says, after a whole rigmarole, he says, all right, kill him, I don't care what you do with him, I wash my hands clean of it, it's your deal. And Jesus, their hope, the deliverer who has come to save the people of Israel, he is crucified, which is the most hideous, painful, embarrassing form of death that the Roman Empire had thought up. Not only that, it was the most embarrassing form of death, if you can say that, that the Jews could observe as well because in their law it said, cursed is any man who hangs upon a tree. And his disciples are dispersed. They're hiding all over the place. 
because they're concerned maybe they're gonna come after me now and Jesus dies on the cross. A couple of them, of them that are still there, they take his body down. He was nailed in his hands and his feet, pierced in the side. He was dead by nightfall on Friday. They take him and they put him in a tomb. And then, ironically enough, they gather, just like all of us gather whenever somebody unexpectedly passes that we love. We gather with the people that we love who knew them best, right? And we hang out in a state of shock and sadness together. And ironically, they're hanging out in the same room that just a couple of days before, Jesus took that bread and broke it, and he passed the cup around and said, this is my blood shed for you. Their world, they gave up their jobs, they left their homes, their livelihood. They followed him for three years now. Their lives are over. They don't know what's gonna happen to us. And then incredibly enough, Sunday, Saturday was the Sabbath. You don't do anything on the Sabbath. Sunday morning, the day breaks come, and this is, this is one of the cool things about the story, by the way, that Jesus' disciples, his closest ones, the ones who had walked with him for three years, they're, let's be honest, they're, they're, they're kind of cowards through the whole thing. But you know who sticks by him through the whole thing? The women. That's recorded that they were there by the, at the crucifixion, and they're the ones that show up on Sunday morning because there was enough time to prepare his body for burial. They show up on Sunday morning to prepare his body for burial. And the disciples hear a knock, a beating at the door early Sunday morning. The door is barred because they're afraid somebody's gonna come in and get them now. And they open the door and there are ladies there, at least four of them saying, it, his body is gone. His body is gone. And so they're wondering what in the world is going on. This is insult to injury. Why would they do this on top of everything? His body is gone. And then they say, and we saw an angel, and the angel said that he is risen. Now, this is an interesting thing because in ancient culture, including in Jewish culture, the testimony of a woman was not allowed in court. In fact, you couldn't have multiple women testify in court that they had seen the same thing because they were considered a hysterical gender. You couldn't trust them. And yet the first ones who see the empty tomb come back and report to the disciples who are doubters, by the way. They don't believe them. They don't know what to say. Peter and John run down to look at the, the tomb and they see it is indeed empty and now they don't know what's going on. They don't trust the ladies women. And so later on that day, Sunday, later on this day, on Sunday, they're walking these two disciples from Jerusalem to Emmaus, seven miles. We don't know exactly why they're going. Maybe they lived in Emmaus. Maybe they take care of some business, have to see family, have to take care of something. Maybe they just had to get out of Jerusalem for a minute. Their minds are reeling. And they're walking down and that sort of that shock feeling. You know that shock feeling after something happens and you don't know like, what's going on? If you're old enough and you remember 9-11, remember those hours after that, after that uh, initial uh, attacks on Tuesday morning and you're wondering what else is coming, what else is happening? That feeling the next couple of days of just shock, like life is still going on, but yet our world has changed. That's what has happened for those people. 
these two disciples walking down this, this road to Emmaus. And then a stranger walks up and asks them, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they're floored. They're totally floored because everybody knows what's happened in Jerusalem. The stranger asked them, what are they talking about? And they, they may not have known what was going on. They may not have believed the women about the angel and that he is risen. But the, there are certain things that are true about this situation. Jesus lived a life. Jesus was betrayed. He died. And now his body is missing. And they don't know what's going on. See, here's the interesting thing, first of all, that in order to meet the risen Christ, who was the, this stranger that has walked into them and started this conversation with him, to meet the risen Jesus, we must first of all know the truth about him. That is, he's not a mythological figure. This Easter thing, this Christianity thing, is not some set of fables or myths. Jesus' life and miracles were well known, in, not only in Jerusalem, but through the whole countryside. The events surrounding Jesus' death were well known. That's why they can't believe that this guy would even ask them because everybody's talking about this. And then already, even though it's only Sunday and the body was just discovered to be missing that morning, it's already well known already and well talked about in the city of Jerusalem that Jesus' body is missing and gone. And here's the interesting thing about it. There's never been a plausible story offered about where his body was put. Nobody really doubts whether his body was missing historically. But nobody ever fessed up to saying, yes, we hid it, we took it, we know where it is. There is no plausible story about what happened to Jesus' body. In fact, when Paul appeared before, uh, later on, the apostle Paul, he appeared before a Roman leader named Festus and King Agrippa. And he's talking to the Roman leader Festus and he's describing what had uh, the story of Jesus and how he died and buried and rose again. And Festus says, Paul, your great learning has made you mad. You're going crazy because you're so smart. You've learned so much. And Paul turns from Festus and he looks at Agrippa, who was a Jew, and he says, King Agrippa, you know what I'm talking about because these things were not done in a corner. It was well known to everybody. Not only were the women the first people, because by the way, if you're gonna write a myth about uh, Jesus being dead and then rising again from the dead, uh, if you're gonna write a myth, a, a Hebrew writer, a male Hebrew writer who certainly wrote this, uh, would, not, would not have written the first people who saw him were women because women were second-class citizens. Yet Jesus, God in his I think sense of humor and in his mercy has women be the first people to see him. And not only are they the first ones to see the empty tomb, but Mary hangs back a little bit after that and she, Mary, a woman, not only a woman, but a former prostitute is the first person who sees Jesus alive. If you were writing a myth, there's no way that's what, how you would write the story. We also kind of tend to believe that this is true because not only did 
There were multiple witnesses. Everybody saw it. Everybody knew about it. Even after Jesus, uh, later on down the story, when Jesus appears to people after his resurrection, multiple people, hundreds of people, Paul says 500 people at one time saw Jesus. But we see that his disciples weren't prone to easy belief. If you're a skeptic in here this morning, you're in good company because that's always been the kind of people that have followed Jesus. The the women come to him and they say, he is gone and an angel says he's risen and his disciples hear it and they doubt. They stay in the upper room and these two jokers, for some reason, decide to take a walk to Emmaus. That's how much they believe. That's how easy they are prone to belief. And here's the interesting thing. These disciples were very familiar with Jesus, yet they didn't recognize him when, they walked, when he walked up to them on the road. Here's the first question for you this morning. Would you recognize him if he were here this morning? See, to meet the risen Jesus, you must first of all believe the truth about him, that he was a real man, he died a real death, and he rose again. But that's not enough. To meet the risen Jesus, we must believe in him. This stranger who's Jesus, we know looking back, we have the pleasure of being able to know the whole story and reading it, but this man, this stranger that walks up to them on the road, he says, he looks at them and he sees they're looking sad, it says. And he said, what's going on? And Cleopas, it only names one, which by the way is another kind of reason to, to believe that this is probably a true story. If you're writing a myth in this, in this uh, day and age, you would either have uh, both, of the, both of these people who are walking on the road, you'd have them both be strangers or you would name both of them, but you wouldn't just name one of them. It wouldn't make any sense in the way that they wrote their myths at the time. In fact, they only name one makes it seem that it's another reason that it's true or trustworthy. Like Cleopas said, Uh, But not only that, but we hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel in verse 21. We see, this is interesting, we see from the very disappointment of his disciples, look, they are sad and disappointed in Jesus. What has become of him? We see in their very disappointment that Jesus, his, his life, his teachings, and his death alone are meaningless. You may be here this morning and you're subscribed to the belief that a lot of people in America do that I I like Jesus, I believe in his teachings, I believe if we did what he said uh, to do, things would be better. Uh, I I I think he was a great man, I think he was maybe a great prophet or God used him. Uh, Maybe he did die on the cross in order to set some sort of an example, but the whole thing about him being 100% God, 100% man and rising again from the dead, I just can't buy that. But we see his very disciples who walked with him, his teachings and his life and his death alone were meaningless if it just ended there. The disciples who had heard him preach, who had seen his miracles, who had talked with him, walked with him, eaten with him, were hoping that he was the one who was gonna come and redeem or deliver or save Israel. And here's the truth about all of us in this room this morning, we are all looking for a redeemer. Every single one of us. 
We're all looking for someone or something to come and make it right. Air quotes, it, that it, right. The problem is that we all define that it differently, don't we? What is that it that you are looking for someone or something to come and make right? We all have this sort of sense that 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 needs to happen. What is it that you think that you need redemption from and that you need redemption to? It could be that you're lonely and you're looking for someone to come into your life and to dispel your loneliness. And if you just weren't lonely anymore, then man, that would be reason to live. Things would be right. Maybe you're longing for physical affection from someone, someone to, someone to touch you, someone to warm your body at night, someone to lay with because you feel so alone at night. The problem is that when each of us, when we seem to find that it, it never really satisfies that thing. It never really redeems us. Maybe you're looking for financial independence. Maybe you're looking for an oppor- just an opportunity for financial gain. Somebody give me a shot. You might think ignorance is what it is that we need to be redeemed from. Man, the world is full of some ignorant people, and if people just weren't so ignorant, things would be better. Maybe you think we need to be redeemed from modernism. Oh, Miles, 24 years old, he's one of our interns here at Doxa. He's the oldest 24-year-old you've ever met. He, he's a millennial, and he's not sure if he even likes millennials. Maybe you think, man, if things were just the way they used to be, things would be better. Maybe you think, man, things need to not be the way they used to be anymore. Whatever it is that you think that you need to be or we need to be redeemed from and to be redeemed to, that explains or is the narrative of your life. Whatever it is that you think that you need to be redeemed from or you need to be redeemed to is the narrative of your life. Because you will hunger for that. You will build your life around it. You will pursue it with everything that you have. But you know what we see in this story is that it's always that it that keeps us from seeing Jesus. These disciples who had seen him, live with him, walk with him, talk with him. Now they're walking with him on the road, the risen Christ. They're walking with him on the road and they don't recognize him. Do you know why they don't recognize him? Because they were expecting something different. They were looking for a different kind of redemption than he came to offer them. And that's why he says to them in verses 25 through 27, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, all of the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer, suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He's walking with them and he would have opened up the, he would have quoted passages from the Old Testament that had described that why he actually came. You came expecting me to redeem or save Israel from Roman oppression. You came to church this morning looking for Christ to make you feel not so lonely or make your life feel a little bit better or make you a little bit better husband or a little bit better wife or a little bit better parent or better child. Maybe you're looking for some help with your finances or whatever that it is that you're looking for. And maybe this is one stab, one grab in the dark for that help, that something to redeem you from whatever it is that you think you need to be redeemed from and to be redeemed to. Jesus walking with them and he says, no, I came to do something different. He would have quoted passages like Isaiah 53, four through six. Surely he has born. This is a prophecy about the Messiah that was to come. Surely he has born our griefs and carried our sorrows. 
Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. Listen to this. All we like sheep have gone astray we have turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, these two disciples, they did need to be delivered. He had come to deliver them, just not in the way they expected. And you need to be delivered. The beautiful news of Easter is that he came to deliver you, but maybe not in the way that you expected. Jesus, the risen Jesus, the risen Jesus is walking with them on this road on the very day that they've been told that he's risen and they don't recognize him. Because the thing that they most need to be delivered from it's the same thing that you and I need to be delivered from, and that's a dull, unbelieving heart. The thing that they needed wasn't freedom from outside circumstances. They needed, just like you and I need, freedom from an inner bondage. But think about it. Isn't that the source of our problems? Think about your problems. Think about them right now, your, the problems in your life. Isn't the source of your problems, isn't it somehow that inside, if we're honest with ourselves, that we're broken? We're somewhat conscious that something is missing. It's sort of like that feeling that I get more and more often these days when I walk into a room and I cannot remember what I walked into the room for. And I stand there like a nincompoop with a blank look on my face because I'm trying to rewind, why did I even come in here? And I'm looking around the room to see if anything jogs my memory. And if somebody happens to be in the room, uh, maybe I might act like I'm kind of busy, like I'm looking around like, mm, yeah, that's not what I was looking for. But I'm standing there like trying to figure out what in the world did I come in here for? We have a, a sense, a feeling like I forgot something, a feeling like something is broken. I read an author one time, he said he called it a sense of a memory of an echo. It's somewhere in our heart that tells us I've forgotten something. Something's broken. It's because we, you were made, you and I, we were made for something that we are cut off from. And our frantic grabbing, our clutching after those things that we think will redeem us and save us is what leads us every other way than the way that we need to go. Think of that passage again from Isaiah. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. That's who you and I are. We were made for God. And our hearts will continue to be restless until we find our rest in him. But we clutch 
everywhere else. And those very things that we clutch for become the things that distract us and take us the opposite direction, the one we were made for. But here's the great news of Easter. The great news of Easter is that he came to them on the road. Notice that. They were walking, leaving Jerusalem where he had died and resurrected and where he was last seen by uh, Mary, risen, and they're walking away from Jerusalem and he comes and he meets them on the road. He meets them there. Just like he came to us when we were cut off and broken and lost and looking for redemption and hope from anywhere or anything else but him. He came for us in Jesus Christ. In our iniquity, our brokenness, your brokenness, your iniquity, the things that you have done, the ways that you have run away from him was laid upon him in order to unite you back to him. All that we must do is reject every other hope and believe in him. That's all that's required this Easter morning to meet the risen Jesus You must know the truth about him. You must believe in him. That means to reject every other hope, every other redemption, to acknowledge your need for him and to confess him as your Lord and Savior. But then lastly, to meet the risen Jesus, you must experience him. When the man is sharing with them, this stranger so far, when he's sharing with them, Don't you, you foolish, don't you know that the Christ had to come and suffer and he's explaining the scriptures to them as they walk? Later on, they would say, didn't our hearts burn within us whenever he's opening the scriptures to us and sharing with us? He's sharing with them and maybe as they're walking, they're thinking, maybe it is true. Maybe we didn't miss it. Maybe this thing isn't over. Maybe he did come to save us in the way that he's describing. But if they had been left there, it would have been kind of a distant thing. Like distantly, Jesus came to save you and die for you. But instead, he came to them on the road. He walked with them. And as they were getting ready to, they had met, stopped at their destination. He had like he was gonna walk on. They said, no, 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 come in, hang out with us. It's almost nightfall. What really they wanted to know more about what he had been sharing with them. They would have gotten inside and, you know, gotten cleaned up and ready for the meal. And they sat down at the meal. It would have been similar, but not the same, but somewhat similar to a few days before when they sat around the table. And the man reached for the bread, and as he broke it, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all of a sudden there, Their mind went reeling. Their heart was in their throat. Their stomach was 
butterflies jumping all over the place. The, the world turned on its edge. They didn't know what was going on. All of a sudden, joy inexpressible. All of a sudden, a, a shock. All of a sudden, an awe. All of a sudden, a peace. All of a sudden, they not only had their lives now in a moment changed. The whole world had changed. Life had changed. Creation had changed. All of a sudden, they realized it's Jesus And as soon as they realize that they look and he's gone. How would they have felt knowing that that whole time they'd been that close to Jesus? They'd sat with him at the table. They'd walked with him down the road, yet they didn't recognize him. Then all of a sudden, it was him, the confusion and the sadness. How did we miss him would have been swallowed by ecstatic joy. He had come to them. He was alive. And not only was he alive, but he came to them. But what a tragedy if they had never known. Can you imagine what it would have been like? Maybe people passed them on the road, three strangers walking and talking. People passed by them. Maybe somebody looked out of the window of their house and saw three people walk by. Maybe somebody walked close enough to overhear part of their conversation and went on. Never knew. They were looking at in the presence of the risen Jesus, the risen Christ, the one who had come to save them. But what a greater tragedy would have happened had they felt their hearts burn within them. As they said, they looked at each other after he disappeared. They said, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened the scriptures to us? They had felt their hearts burn and they missed it. They had never recognized him. How they considered it just a nice story, a dream. You can be of a religious background. You can grow up in church all your life and not recognize them, miss them. You walk close enough to him. You hear some facts about him. You hear the story about him, but it just doesn't click inside you. It just doesn't make sense inside you. You can be religious or non-religious, Christian background, no Christian background, go to church every week or never go to church and still miss him. Here's the story. Each one of us has to walk that road with him. Each one of us has to sit at that table with him. Each one of us must have our hearts burn within us as he's revealed to us as our redeemer and our Lord. It can't be just a mental belief. The risen Christ, the risen Jesus Christ, the story of the cross, it doesn't end with his death, it ends with his resurrection, that's what we're celebrating today. And if he is risen, it changes your life, it changes the world. If he is risen, it means he is present and real in this room and in this world to save, 
to walk with us. It's more than just an understanding or a mental belief. We have to have our dull, unbelieving hearts remade. These are my last few questions this morning. Do you recognize him this morning? I mean, he's just some guy walking past. Or is he the risen Christ revealed to you as the one who came for you, took the penalty that you could not pay, rose again for you? Do you just hear the facts? Do you see him in the scriptures? Do you feel your heart burn within you? This morning, does it say that you're his? Scripture tells us that if you're a believer in Christ, if you're a Christian, you'll be born again, Jesus said. And, he, and Scripture tells us that you'll have an inner witness within your heart that you are his child. My question to you this morning, do you have that inner witness this morning? Does your heart burn within you? Not just, hey, that's a cool story, but does your heart burn within you because you know that you have been united with Jesus Christ, the one you were created for, the one you're created by. Once we see Jesus and we recognize him, the whole picture changes. Our life changes, the world changes when we see him and we recognize him. Do you see him this morning? I'm gonna pray for us and the band's gonna come up and they're gonna play for about a minute or so, minute, minute and a half. And I wanna ask for you just take that time of kind of quiet while the band plays and just see in your heart, do you have that inner witness? Does your heart burn within you knowing that you have been united with Christ? Knowing that you have rejected every other hope and have put your total belief in him alone? And you know you've been united, not with just some idea, not with some religion, but with the living Jesus Christ who rules heaven and earth. And if you do, then a question as we leave here today, this is not a, I don't mean it to be a heavy question, it should be a joyous question. The, the, as we leave here today, does that revolutionize your world? Does that revolutionize your life? Does that change the way that you live and the way that you view the world and what is going on around you? And if not, that can happen for you this morning. The miracle that happened when the disciples, no less miraculous than when Jesus was actually there and broke the bread in their presence, no less a miracle for every person who's a believer in Christ in this room, we've had that miracle happen and that can happen in your life today. All of a sudden, you see. I pray that would happen as you do business with him as the band plays. Father, I thank you for this Easter morning. I thank you for the truth that you are risen indeed. I thank you that the, the power and the truth of the resurrection changes everything.
And I pray for any person here today who has not experienced that change, that they would experience it at this very moment. And that for all of us as we leave here today, as we uh, celebrate communion together, as we worship together, close out the service, and as we leave here today, that truth, that reality would shape everything that we do, everything that we see, everything that we say. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.